Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Susan Linker. Susan founded Our Companions Animals Rescue, a nonprofit organization in 2002. Our Companions Central Governing Principle is to do the right thing for animals regardless of the challenge or the cost and operates its Valerie Friedman Program Center in Manchester and a 43-acre animal sanctuary in Ashford, Connecticut. Susan also serves as Connecticut's representative on the Humane Society of the United States Companion Animal Advisory Council and is a trustee of the John T. and Jane Aid Wiederhold Foundation. Susan serves on the board of Connecticut Votes for Animals, a bipartisan 501c4 nonprofit organization with a mission to mobilize the public to support animals through their political choices, and the former president of the Animal Welfare Federation of Connecticut, a partnership of no-kill animal welfare organizations. Prior to establishing Our Companions, Susan worked in various capacities in the field of animal welfare, including an eight-year career with the Connecticut Humane Society and its subsidiary, Fox Memorial Clinic. Susan also spent some time outside the animal welfare field where she pursued financial development experience with the American Red Cross fundraising team. Susan lives with her husband, Mitchell, who serves as Our Companions Development Committee Chair. Her rescued dog, Darla, and way too many cats to mention and not sound too crazy. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I am thrilled to have you on the show today. We've known each other for quite a long time, and you had really quite nicely invited me down to a uh, presentation down in Connecticut many, many, many years ago. So it was great to meet you then, and it's great to have been able to keep in touch with you over the years. But I'm wondering if you might share with our listeners How did you get this sort of animal welfare bug in your system? You know, I think like many of us in this field, it was always there. I've always had a deep love for animals. I was one of the people that would just take home whatever stray animals were out there. (laughs) Just a real connection and empathy to cats, dogs, bunnies, frogs, whatever. It was just always central in my makeup. And as I talk to people, a lot of people share this. I call it the animal gene. We have the animal gene and people who have it recognize each other. And it's something that I'm most proud of because, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing to be, have deep empathy to living creatures that are not human. So the animal gene, I think of that as that underlying passion that we all share. When we get into a room together, you can just feel all that energy that we all seem to have. Absolutely. So you started Our Companion Animals in 2002. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of the organization and why you started it and what was the situation like in Connecticut at that point in time? Sure, absolutely. As you had mentioned, I'd worked at a traditional animal shelter for a long time. And, you know, it was a really eye-opening experience. You know, I started my career at the Humane Society thinking I'm going to save all the animals in the world. And I always had a deep love for cats, particularly. The reality of animal sheltering became apparent that the physical environment is very stressful. It's very intense. I felt a lot of the animals that deserve the most mercy had the fewest 
resources for them. The older animals, the animals that were sick, diabetic ones, the fractious cats. These were the ones that often failed to be adopted in these shelters. And I attribute it very much to the actual environment there. So after I had left that environment and that organization, I was searching and I learned of Best Friends Animal Society. At the time, it was Best Friends Animal Sanctuary. And they're in Kanab, Utah. Probably a lot of your listeners are aware of who they are. And it really just struck a nerve that this indeed is is a different perspective of animal welfare where you don't accept euthanasia as acceptable for saving money or convenience. And the environment was such that it lent to them being able to live long term or in a shelter. You, you Cats just can't, animals just can't be confined like that for long term. So that was kind of where my head was at. And I was working at the Red Cross and I was at a dog training class with my dog and I was training her and I heard someone say, did you hear 43 acres of land is going to be given to someone to start an animal sanctuary? And my ears perked up. I said, what is this? Long story short, there was a factory farm, believe it or not. It was a big egg processing farm. In eastern Connecticut, there's a lot of them. And it wasn't like old McDonald's farm. It was the huge factory farm, 600 feet long, 60 feet wide, massive, massive facilities. The owners wanted to get rid of the land, give it to someone for the purpose of opening a sanctuary. It was nothing I was looking for. It just kind of the stars aligned. And I had met at that time my business partner, Marie Joyner, and we both kind of were on this path and we said, you know, if we don't do this, we're going to regret it forever. Let's just check it out. Let's just try it. And we jumped. And thankfully, the net caught us and a lot of animal lovers who felt the same way that wanted this resource in our community supported it through their time and through their financial support. Right now, we have about 400 volunteers and about 2,500 donors. So we've grown a lot in the last 15 years. You are building this sanctuary in stages. So at this point in time, what is your capacity? And then what is the final capacity going to be? The whole site plan that's been approved and developed by our engineers and the architects is 16 cottages. And eight are for cats and eight are for dogs. We took Sue Sternberg's real life room. She's uh, Sue Sternberg is a trainer, a brilliant animal trainer, a dog trainer. And she saw how animals became very stressed in kennels and created this concept in her shelter called real life rooms, where they just give the dog a room, give it a couch, a little TV, and take the stress out of the intensity of being in a shelter. And they found that they can live in that kind of environment for much longer. So we thought, well, what if we take this concept of real life rooms and instead make real life cottages where that's actually a home? And this way we could keep animals in the facility for as long as they need to rehabilitate until they're adopted. And if they don't get adopted, each day they're getting more and more adoptable because the environment is lending towards the rehabilitation. And that was always the concept. After working in a shelter, I realized that at the time, I always wished there was some place, some place I could call and say, you know, we have this cat, we take it in. I know this cat needs to be out of this environment. This cat has some potential, but here we just can't place it. Whether it's a health issue or a behavioral issue, and provide a safety net for some population of those animals that just aren't successful in regular shelters. And that was the concept that we developed for the sanctuary. And in each of the cat cottages, how many cats are in those? 
It depends on the type of population. We have rooms that are flexible. Some rooms could be kind of community rooms. Some rooms could be more individual. Because the type of the cats that we try to specialize are cats that have either health or behavioral issues. Often we're dealing with smaller populations of cats so we can give that individual care. Usually around 25 cats is what we have in one cottage at any one time. But sometimes it varies. If we have a group of cats that come in together that get on well, then we'll take perhaps four or five in one room. But in many cases, we just have one resident in their room. We're in the living room. We just have like three or four. So the population is constantly changing and we're able to be flexible with the housing to provide friends or no friends in terms of what the cats need. Right. Yeah. I was thinking about that. You know, with each cottage, do you have one mask move in at one time or how do you add and subtract? I know that in our shelter, the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society shelter, which is a cageless facility, we don't have that many rooms to work with. So there's always a balancing act when you're adding new clients or new cats. And when some cats get adopted, the balance shifts. Absolutely. And when we did a lot of this research before, we were being told, we read that having groups of 25 cats and more, there's no territory and everyone's peaceful. And we did not have that experience. (laughs) It was not like that. More wasn't better. We found less is better and fewer cats in smaller colonies actually not only allows us to give the attention to each of the individuals, which often need rather significant treatment plans, but also just keeps all the stress lower. And we also have what we call catios on all of the rooms too, so the cats can go outside safely and get fresh air, watch the birds, every once in a while score with a mouse that they find. And this type of enrichment also helps them. We found that keeping the numbers down allows us to spend more time in with individual care. And that actually speeds up the adoption process because they're more adoptable sooner so we can turn over the population sooner. Hey, CCP listeners, I have a big favor to ask of you. As we approach our one-year anniversary of the CCP, I have put together a survey asking you some questions about the show and the work we are doing. This show is for you, and I want to make it the best and most helpful. Please go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on the survey link and share your thoughts. By completing the survey, you will have a chance at winning a $50 gift card to Amazon. You have until May 15th to fill in the survey. Thanks so much for helping make this a great show. If you like the Community Cats podcast and would like to help promote Community Cats in your state, then we need you. We're looking for a couple of people from each state to be Community Cats ambassadors. What do you get by being an ambassador? You'll be mailed a promo kit of items to use to help promote the show at any event that you attend in your state. If you don't attend many events, hey, that's okay too. Do you have a network of people that love community cats? You can help with emailing groups in your state to let them know about the CCP and offer them the benefit of community cat swag. The more we can spread the word about the show, the more we can do to help cats across the country. Please email Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com if you'd like to represent your state. Thank you. So you've used the word adoption quite a bit, and I've had quite a few conversations with folks about sanctuaries and saying, you know, I have X amount of cats in my house and I can't keep them forever. We need to build a sanctuary for them. And that's the answer to all of our problems. How does a sanctuary seem to be different than an adoption center because it sounds like you're still actively and aggressively trying to adopt these cats into homes. 
that has always been the goal. The last thing you want to do is have a, a sanctuary that's locked and we can't take more animals in. And so even though we're dealing with cats and, and dogs, but cats for the, our purposes that have some health issues or maybe some behavioral issues, we're always in the process of trying to market what's wonderful about them and find the right match. We believe that every cat can find a good home. We just have to find the right match for it. For example, we just took a cat in that was going to be euthanized because she was peeing all over, and which is one of our specialties. <laughs> So we bring them to the sanctuary and then we have our behavior people try to figure out what's going on here. Is this a health issue? Is this something about other animals in the house? And once we identify and are able to solve the problem, these animals suddenly become adoptable. A lot of these things, I don't think that the sanctuary is an ideal place for animals to stay for the rest of their lives. There's nothing better than a real home. And that's our goal, not only for the individual animals that we take in, but so that we can help even more animals. When we first went to Best Friends to do research on the sanctuary and to try to figure out how we're going to build this thing and how it's going to work, they really were wonderful and gracious with the information they gave us about how to build a sanctuary. But they also were very clear to say, you can build a sanctuary and that'd be great. But if that's all you do, recognize that's not going to really change anything in terms of your community. They encourage us to look at the root of causes of why animals are homeless and suffering in our community. And we really took that to heart. And we look at the sanctuary as one program of many programs of our organization. You had mentioned in the intro that we have our Valerie Friedman Program Center. And that is in Manchester, which is a population area. The sanctuary is located in a very rural area. And at the program center, we have our TNR programs and our cat advocacy and our education programs. And we wanted to be able to balance the two because just by rehabilitating and rehoming, you're really not getting to the core issues. And in Connecticut, there are no laws that protect cats. There's dog pounds, but there's not animal shelters in municipalities. So there's hundreds of thousands of free roaming cats. You can't solve that through adoption. You have to solve that through changing public policy, educating people, and of course, which you're very familiar with, TNR. We kind of look at a holistic view. So the sanctuary is one program that's helping a specific population of animals that are in shelters that need help, but not necessarily all cats, because cats have different needs depending on where they come from and what their level of socialization is. We will not accept feral cats at our sanctuary. We believe in TNR, and that's the cats belong in their outside homes. You read my mind. I was going to ask you the question about feral cats, because many people, too, who've asked me, you know, are folks that have semi-feral or feral cats that they have brought in for whatever reason determined that returning them back was not the best option. I've been involved with barn relocation for feral cats, which needs to be done very carefully. Definitely is not on the top of my list of things to do. But if you are in a situation where you have a feral cat and you need to relocate it, then that is an option out there. But you answered my question. When I ran the sanctuary that the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society had, I would say a large population was the semi-feral and the feral type, less on the need assistance or inappropriate elimination issues. We seem to have been able to deal with litter box issues in our adoption facility. Then we didn't transfer cats up to the sanctuary for that. We also had a special area designated for the feline leukemia positive cats too up there also. It's a very interesting question when folks throw out, hey, we need a sanctuary or we need more sanctuaries to solve the problem. It's not the full answer. And the way you're describing your sanctuary, it seems like there's just a lot more 
to it than that. There's definitely an adoption program in there. And I don't know if you have foster care at all in, involved in your program too, but that could be another prong to the whole success of that question of dealing with sort of a compromised population. Absolutely. I've always felt very, very strongly that feral cats should be returned to their outdoor homes. And by forcing them into shelters or rescues, it's not fair to them. I think people do that because they feel bad for the cats. I don't think they recognize that this is what the cats know. And with the right caregiving, that these cats can have wonderful lives. I think people don't want to put them back outside because they don't like to see them outside. They somehow think that they're suffering out there. And if they're cared for properly and they're fed and they have shelters and they have people overseeing them if they get injured, then that's, I think, as much as any cat. If you asked a feral cat, I believe they'd say, put me back outside where I belong. I don't want to be hiding under your bed or under the couch for the next 15 years. I don't think that's fair at all. So you've been very involved in advocacy, it sounds like, and you were mentioning how the laws in Connecticut really don't cover cats too much. That's the same case in Massachusetts, I would say, also. But based on what you've seen over the years, how has life changed for community cats in Connecticut? I think there's a lot of work to be done. Absolutely. But... In the last 15, 20 years, there has been tremendous, in the Northeast, tremendous, I think, wonderful, successful programs that have significantly reduced the population and have educated people and changed their perspective on how they look at cats. TNR was not commonly accepted form of rescue 15, 20 years ago. So much has happened over that time. Just the way that people look at cats as being sentient creatures that deserve love and respect and good homes, that deserve veterinary care, I think a lot of the opinion is changing very much in the viewpoint of rescue. And it's so encouraging. Just the other day, we were talking about the fact that we can't find kittens. And of course, there'll be kitten season and there will be kittens out there. But we've come a long way with spay neuter in our area. And it's really, really encouraging. What we're finding more and more in shelters are animals that have some behavioral or health problems. And that's one of the reasons why the sanctuary was really so important for us to have this resource. Shelters are great at placing highly adaptable animals. Get them in, get them out. That's great. But when you have animals that come in that are compromised, that's definitely not the right environment for rehabilitation. And that's really our goal is to be a safety net to help those cats that enter shelters. And in many cases, one of our priorities is taking cats that end up in municipal pounds. Every municipal pound somewhere, you know, the cat ends up there and they're sitting in a dog pound. We prioritize those cats to come to the sanctuary. Some of them are just fine and don't need any care, but the goal is to get them out of that environment because it's so very stressful. I'd assume your organization only services Connecticut? Yeah, we do some business in our neighboring states, but primarily for our size right now, we try to focus on Connecticut. There's plenty of animals here um, to keep us busy. Our donors are from Connecticut largely, and, and so are our volunteers. I do hope and inspire that we can become more of a regional resource, and that's very much something that we're planning on doing in the next 10 to 15 years. But right now, we're 15 years into this adventure, and um, we're very careful not to overextend our resources. Well, the one thing that I'm finding that I hear with organizations in New England, what are the traditional open admission facilities are seeing incredible drops in their intake numbers. Spay neuter has done a lot for that, as well as their adoption campaigns that they have. The smaller organizations, or I would say the more limited admission organizations might be always sort of at capacity. Some of the smaller foster only based organizations aren't seeing 
a dramatic drop in their local communities for the requests for services and that kind of thing. So there is a bit of a difference going on between organizations based on how they operate on a daily basis. If you're doing a tremendous amount of volume, you will see the difference. But if you and your program have space for 25 or 40 cats, you're not going to see it. And I absolutely understand that. And we're one of those smaller organizations. I mean, we at any time, right now, generally one cottage has 25 cats. We, you know, we're in the process of doubling that. Because we specialize also in fixer-upper kitties, there's always an abundance of those. <laughs> and that's going to be the future of animal welfare. I really believe that. It's going to be now extending what we now consider an adoptable cat to be. And that's really exciting. When we place an animal that has come to us with some rather significant behavioral problems, and you're able to then find that cat a wonderful home. There's no better feeling than that. In many of these cases, whether it's aggression or litter box issues or other kooky behaviors that these cats have, really it's nice to see the range of what we're able to place into homes grow and expand with having resources that are available for them. It's so different than it was 15 years ago where you're worrying about what to deal with 30 or 40 kittens. Now it's a different thing. Now you're who knows how to give fluids for a renal failure cat. Exactly. Yeah, we placed a 13-year-old cat with FIV. That would never have happened before. And that really just makes my heart sore to see the shift that, that's happened. And people are open to that when they never would have been before. So it's really very encouraging. So Susan, if folks are interested in finding out more about our Companions Animal Rescue, how would they do that? They can visit us on our website. It's ourcompanions.org. Of course, you can give us a call at 860-242-9999. And of course, we're on Facebook and all the social media stuff as well. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, if any of them are in Connecticut, um, I would love to give a pitch. First of all, 100% of our funding comes from the public. So if this is something that touches your heart and you'd like to learn more and possibly become a donor, we would love that. We also are in the process of recruiting for volunteers for our next phase of construction, which will double the size of the sanctuary. So it's a truly wonderful environment and volunteers really are the lifeblood of our sanctuary. We could not do what we do without them. So if you're in the area and you might want to get involved as a volunteer, we would love to talk with you more about that. That's great. Susan is in Connecticut. So everybody in Connecticut, go knocking on her door. (laughs) Well, Susan, I want to thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope we'll have you on in the future, maybe when your construction is done and we can uh, get an even more virtual tour. I would absolutely love that. Thank you, Stacey. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old, with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show, but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. 